Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Ishtabag people. It is the music of Olivia Rodrigo and the preservation of Filipino culture and mixed children in today's episode. But before we do that, before we get into that topic for today's episode in the month of April, let's catch up, Six. What have you been up to pop culture wise? Before I even delve in, you just mentioned it is the month of April. And for all the Halo Halo listeners that are living in Ontario, mm. it's Filipino Food Month. So a lot of yes, Filipino yes, yes. owned businesses and Filipino food restaurants are offering like fixed pre menus all over Toronto. I know in Ottawa, mm. Miss Cafe is having stuff. So take a look out on social media, find out. You yes. can get some great food at Las Islas and mm-hmm. um, stuff in Montreal and Junior is setting some stuff up. I saw like one fixed price was amazing where it was just we'll start you off with some ukoi and then you'll mm. have lechon and then for dessert you will have oh my god amazing ube ice cream with mm. a little bit of bananas deep fried <laughs> it just perfect yes, so yes, find yes. out get your food on this month but Pop culture-wise, Kuya, have you watched on Crave or HBO Max the show called Minx? No, tell me more about that. So it is set in the 70s, and the lead character is named Joyce, and she wants to create a feminist magazine. So she tries Hmm. to go to this magazine show and try to tell people, I have these great articles, like Gloria Steinem would be proud of. And, And it's set in the 70s, and she meets a publisher that makes pornography magazines played by Jake Johnson <laughs> and Ophelia yes. Lovelbond, I think is the name of the lead character Joyce and begrudgingly she wants to get that out there so she ends up joining forces with Jake's character and they create something called Minx which is also a male magazine <laughs> with nudity interspersed with all her articles. Oh, it sounds like a lot it's, of fun. It is a lot of fun, and it's so funny. I don't know about you if you noticed on HBO Max, there's always been a lot of full frontal nudity with women. It was never a big deal. And now, lots of male frontal nudity on HBO Max, wow. whether it's and just like that, <laughs> Euphoria, and on this show, and it's very comically done. It's very funny. It's funny how you can have still these feminist issues that still exist in the 70s and have it still applicable here in the 2020s. But I encourage you, it's a half-hour show. They've dropped episodes weekly like a normal show usually does but very funny the banter is really great you just you're like yes this is the 70s they just had an episode where they had woke university students in the <laughs> 70s where you know she was feminist and she's like i have all these great things well are you thinking about this are you thinking about intersectionality and stuff mm. and it's just it's a hoot a lot of male friends mental nudity but we've seen <laughs> it so much for women so it's it's a bit of a flip side so the mix interesting this, interesting i'll have to check that to check one out, out. It's, it's pretty funny but what I like is you and I both have a linked pop culture piece. And so so did yes. you catch our lovely Sandy B 
And Channing Tatum in the ship movie Lost City. What did you think of Lost City? Oh, I thought it was a really fun, cute romp. You know what I mean? Romp is a great word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not only just Sandy B and Channing Tatum, and then they had a guest. Who was great. Star, you know, at the very beginning. And high caliber actors who just made the best of their lines and it didn't need to be overly complex and stuff like that and certainly parts of it were telegraphed but there were just great great comedic moments and i have to say i forget about how sandra bullock is just a great physical she she is like she's got great physical comedy and i kind of forget that she's fantastic that way so it was just great to watch her kind of be bumbling all over the place or be awkward in certain moments apart from just being really meta and quippy at the same time. So I enjoyed it. We saw it for my middle sister's birthday. Yeah. So we had brunch and then we saw the movie afterwards and nice lounging seats over at the VIP in Pickering. And yeah, it was just fun. You know, I was laughing throughout and even snorted at one point. (laughs) And it was just, this is funny. It was just funny and it was a great, again, romp to see. It, How about you? What were your thoughts? I echo it. I think the big guest star at the beginning was fantastic. Bowen Yang was in it too. Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, yes. I think it was, it harkened back to a time where you just go to the movies for a fun laugh. None committal, yeah. a lot yeah, of yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, oh, this is, it's silly. It's great. It's like that sort of fun date night movie. You don't have to commit. And like, yeah. they, they knew it. And you are right. I, Sandra Bullock is a, she's a comedic actor from Miss Congeniality from before. She, she could really make fun of herself and while you were sleeping and right. she's just done and I really like the fact man like Sandy B looks good she looks she looked great like, bang, she she's, great. she's 50 is she not yes and she I looks, think so think or she something looks like, like that yeah. amazing and I'm like hell yeah like Shannon's only barely 40 where she's just like yeah that's right like I'm the yeah. lead romance lead and she was like killing it totally holding her own and I also thought that Daniel Radcliffe cast funny. as a villain funny. a ridiculous villain like first of all it he played the part perfectly as someone that you just couldn't take seriously, but was a little maniacal, just Unhinged. a little bit yeah. maniacal enough to think, oh, shit, like maybe we shouldn't upset the guy. Right. Exactly. You know, at the end of the day. So fantastic casting, just a great romp. And yeah, it's been a long time where you can just kind of go for the movies just for the laughs as opposed to something academic or scholarly or thought provoking. Exactly. Sometimes you just want a good laugh. And this movie certainly did that. What else has been on your pop culture list? Of, of late. Yeah, the other is we've been burning through Star Trek Discovery finally. Oh, how is Paramount it? Plus. Yeah, it was really great, actually. It was just interesting. The way Star Trek Discovery has been framed over the last couple of years is that they've got like one major issue that's being explored over 12 episodes. And so they really looked at, you know, a new life form that was kind of coming into being and just kind of making some interesting analyses from that. Although I will say that at the end, it felt like they were wrapping up the series and then I automatically went back online and they assured us that they've got another another season. season? Underway. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. I was just thinking to myself, oh gosh. But I wonder if they did that because they weren't sure if they were coming back or they were really trying to close up the season so that the next season would just be free of any loose ends uh, in a lot of ways. Oh, clean storytelling. So clean storytelling. Yes. With clean the- storytelling. And just as much as all these new streaming services are coming onto line, Paramount Plus is that also just suddenly is prolific with all of their upcoming Star Trek franchises kind of coming Smart. through like Star Trek Picard, Star Trek 
Strange New Worlds, like all of that stuff. You were saying smart, and I'm just like, oh my God, so much great television to watch, including on what you were saying before, HBO Max and Crave, and they've got like a, a bunch of new stuff kind of coming through. So amidst that entire pop culture landscape, there's also music to be heard. And today we are discussing, of course, the music of Olivia Rodrigo. And then later on, we're going to be talking about the preservation of Filipino culture in mixed children. But tell us, Sigs, tell our listeners kind of like how you got introduced to Olivia Rodrigo. Because really, I found her everywhere on the internet, (laughs) you know, everywhere I'd go. But it wasn't until I was talking to you that you informed me that she was Filipino because that just kind of slipped my mind and slipped references. It's crazy. And folks, as you may know this, we record ahead of time. So today is April 3rd. And literally right before we recorded, we're like, oh, my God, congratulations, Olivia Rodrigo. She just won a Grammy for Best New Artist. So it's very poignant. It's wonderful. Now, it is. Hello, hello, listeners. We've had some, it's been four seasons, and usually we have like 50 Most Beautiful People episodes, sort of like People Mm. Magazine, and I was researching for some Filipinos to put on that list. And I found this kid actor, singer from, that was going to be on the show, the high school musical, the series named Olivia Rodrigo. I was like, oh, this Mm. is a pretty kid. She's young. And I researched her. She's a Disney actor, and she's been singing since she was little. And she was on the show called Bizarre Vark or something. I was like, oh, two leads that are Mm. Asian and, and stuff. She is Filipino. And I was like, oh, Olivia Rodrigo, Filipino. Interesting. And I've never watched High School Musical, and then the show came out on Disney, and I was like, well, I watched it, like, in kill time, just like, okay, in passing. I'm like, oh, okay, I can see why Jesse thinks this show, you know, the music is very catchy. Now, mm-hmm. she's a standout on the show, and what's interesting, they use her Filipino culture in the episodes and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is cool representation. Then all of a sudden, what was it, January in 2021, January 8th, right. she dropped her first single from her album Sour called Driver's License. And I think we were all regaled with, I think it had the most downloads like during holiday music on Spotify, racking up the charts. People were listening to this song and heard about it. And I think Jez said, I heard about it. Then we saw it on SNL, her performance on SNL. But before that, there was like a sketch with Reggae Jean-Paul from Bridgerton hosted. And they did a sketch on Driver's License, the song. Like, And they analyzed the song, the bridge here. She's singing it. She's just like feeling being broken up with. And from then on, she became this phenomenon. Her album dropped in May 21st in 2021. And it was a sour album. Then we all you see is Olivia Rodrigo on the cover of every magazine. Everywhere. Everywhere. The influences are there. I think the standout in the first it is like, oh. This is interesting. And normally when you think of Disney actors that are that become singers and multi-hyphenates, you know, they have a big production studio behind them. You know, when they have yes, the credits to yes. a song, it's many people. Olivia Rodrigo, a lot of the credits of her song is her. And her producer, right. Dan Nigro, who both Grammy winners now, is yes. just interesting. And just recently, Driving Home to You is on Disney Plus, a documentary with her music. You really get to step inside this artist who's 19 years old and is very talented. Now, listeners, you have two, a 45-year-old and a 40-year-old <laughs> list as hosts on this program, but you think that we, why would we like a 19-year-old's music? When you listen to this music, this is a very influenced songwriter. Her music can span from the late 90s, 2000s and bring it almost like 40 years later 
30, 40 years later and bring it to now what's current. It's such a surprise, right? Like we think teenager, but you never think the depths that she pulls into talking about these themes that we hear about in breakups and relationships. And it's so interesting how it hits. And not just, you know, us, like, you know, society at large. Where is this person from and where are her influences and how does it really, I don't know, how does it strike so many people? Yeah. I would agree. Like, there's a bit of a puzzle here trying to figure out how did she strike a chord so clear and so wide amongst a lot of people that, as Siggy, you've described it, she broke the internet at one Yeah, she did. (laughs) You know, where people were trying to download her song or stream her song, Driver's License. And in fact, I think the album came after they realized that it had broken the internet, right? Yeah, before she released the album. And so she actually made this album in quick order after Driver's License was released, interestingly enough. And I have to say, and I'll admit, it's like I hear these kind of singer-songwriters or songwriters that are singing teenage indie pop angst. Yeah. And I don't actually think twice about them. And I know that that probably has more to do with our ages and stuff like that. But I have to say, I became intrigued when I saw her perform on SNL. And it was just kind of like the level of emotion that she was putting into it. And I thought, oh... Like, she really is a singer-songwriter. And then I started listening to the album afterwards. And I just thought to myself, she's actually exploring really interesting themes. Because usually it's one note in terms of theme. In terms of teenage pop angst. And I think that this is why... I would normally just kind of put it to the side because I've been through that teenage pop angst decades ago and I don't know that I necessarily have anything to learn from anything else that might be sung out there and perhaps that's a little bit arrogant of me to say. But I have to say, after watching SNL, I gave Sour a try and it was like, oh, like she's actually quite deep and quite introspective and quite narrative on her breakup. Whatever this breakup was, it gave her a lot of material And it just made me think about kind of the themes that she was exploring in some of the songs. So whether it was like difficulty loving an inconsistent lover in One Step Forward, Three Steps Back, or I just liked her analysis on the unoriginality of love in Deja Vu. I just thought to myself, oh, that's really interesting. Like, it's true. What we do when we're in love isn't going to be different when the person breaks up with you and starts to love somebody else. They're going to do the same things. They're going to take you to the same places or do the same activities or say the same things. Or I very much appreciated the you know, meditation on the unfair comparisons that came up after a breakup in Jealousy, Jealousy, or the fragility and expiration of love in Driver's License. And that's kind of what really got me thinking about her. I thought, you know, she's making a metaphor here about how love expires, just like a driver's license would expire in some ways. And what does that mean? Like you have this for life, you've got an expired card in a lot of ways. And then, and I think my favorite song off of Sour is Good For You, just because (laughs) she talks about, or she sings about how she's mad, but she's trying not to be petty about it, but she's still petty about like (laughs) being angry at the breakup. So that's kind of what I very much was intrigued by was this whole kind of exploring different themes, not just kind of like I'm mad at a breakup. No. But again, like many nuanced ideas that kind of come out of your first love or early love or early breakup or teenage angst, love story's gone awry. So I don't know if you've got anything to kind of add on to that or... I think she was like on this regimen of like writing songs practically every day, like being in Utah while she filmed the high school musical series and just churning out these songs. I just, 
for me, it was a pleasant surprise. Like, I don't expect someone from in 2022, 2021 mm. to take Avril Lavigne, Liz Fair, Elastica, The Donnas, Lord, Billie Eilish, Paramore, yeah. Taylor Swift influences, Alanis Morissette to meld them all together. Because if you hear some of her hooks and some of the guitar riffs, I'm like, I've yeah. heard this before and I like it. Like, she guns through it. When I think of Brutal... I think of Elastica, like, right. connection. So, late yeah, 90s, yeah. indie girl group, like, Liz Fair. I've seen the Donnas in concert. And it was just Plum, Alanis, Avril. Like, it was just, like, a revisiting. I'm like, she's made this cool. Like, this is late 90s girl indie yeah. rock. And it's thoughtful. It's just, even when you see them recording it in the documentary, she's like, okay, Danny, you're going to be like, okay, we're going to do this. Do you like this strumming? And she's like, yeah, yeah. She's going to keep up the pace. And you saw the thought process yes. and creation of it. And you're like, oh, this is really, really great. And on top of that, like all this, the mechanisms of like the machine of Olivia Rodrigo, mm. it's impressive. Like the documentary that she shot, she does like performances of her albums, Sour, at like at a gas station, at a, a drive-in movie theater, abandoned, and a diner, in a car, and just melding it. I'm like, this is the type of documentary that like Avril Lavigne and like Liz Fair would have killed for to shoot. Like, yes. I'm like, this vibe is so late 90s. And you know what? The only thing that just makes me sad is people would call it retro. And we're, you know, oh, we're, we're yes. in our 40s. I'm like, it's retro. I'm like, I guess it would be retro. But I, I remember I this, like, in university. <laughs> and I, I loved it. And even taking a step further, if you saw her Tiny Desk performance special mm. on NPR, she performed at an empty DMV during quarantine. Backed right. up by a female yes, band. Yes, yes. And, like, even her takes and different ways that she performed things, it was just innovative and new. And you just... I don't, you know what, I'll be honest, I do love Britney, I've loved factory work of pop stars and stuff, <laughs> but when you see someone who's an artist who really plays all those, like, the instruments that really goes in and knows the nuances and writes it, it's just impressive. Like, do you yeah, agree you know, with me? Like, when you see that, you're like, there's work done here. This isn't, like, a factory yeah. pop kind of person. Certainly Britney, certainly Madonna, at least, you know, some of our divas that we enjoy are very much performers, but she's very much an artist, a singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to see how she brings in all of these different influences. Yeah. And just to kind of unpack a little bit more about what you were talking about, listening through Sour the first time, I just thought, oh, this feels like thematically like Alanis Morissette, but aspiring to be less binary about her thinking regarding breakups. Because I felt Alanis was very kind of one note. Jackie Little Pill. Like, I am mad. Yeah. That's right. And I'm going to come for you and I'm going to cut you up, right? Is <laughs> kind of the message of Alanis's breakup album, Jagged Little Pill. But Olivia was very much kind of like, yes, I'm really upset about this breakup, but there's lots of nuance that's going on. And then I thought that the storytelling, like, first of all, lots of words, lots oh of words that gosh. she's singing about, yes. right? Like more words than Mariah Carey puts in the song, We Belong Together. Yeah. Just a lot of words. And so it just reminded me a little bit of Lourdes' storytelling and narrative. And you were so right about Avril Lavigne, especially in that style, kind of like sometimes sweeping, sometimes very quiet, you know? And I was just thinking to myself, this is very reminiscent of like, early Avril Lavigne, mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm with you or keep holding on or even Skater Boy. Good for you kind of reminded me of Skater Boy for a little bit. 
But I found her to be more emotive yes. than Avril Lavigne or Lord or Alanis. And she very much, her her emotion and how emotive she was reminded me of this one Filipina singer named Janelle Salvador mm-hmm. in this one song called Blanco, where she sings all in Tagalog about kind of being speechless after love. And, you know, and I just thought to myself, oh, this is her version of doing that, being very emotive. And then finally, I would say that Taylor Swift, kind of like current sound, being really ethereal, being very light and airy and stuff like that. And yet her songwriting is so honest, just like Gwen Stefani in a lot of ways. Those are kind of like my thoughts in terms of the influences and then how she just melded it together. So yes, it harkens back and is retro, but, you know, calls it her own and puts it all together in this kind of way. I totally agree. There is just something... I don't know. I think singers are different now where they really, you're not just singing a song. You're right about being emotive and like a narrative. It's whether it's whispers and you, you can hear her influences, whether mm-hmm. it being Lord and then just striking out there. And like when she sings Traitor, just like yes. getting out there and putting herself out there in the documentary, Driving Home to You, she goes to an empty gas station. And when she performs right. Traitor, it's very reminiscent when Ed Sheeran played Shape of You at the Grammys where he was just, he would play like one part of the song and let it repeat. So she had the recorder and right. she'd be like, she'd play one part, she'd sing one note and then it would let it go. And then she would just yeah. croon it by herself, sunglasses on. And it was just great. It was just masterful. I'm just, it's talented. Like it's just talent. You just see it's that. It's very talented. <laughs> it's easy to dismiss someone from like a teenage pop genre. And I think she's going to go well beyond that to kind of, again, as I had described it, one note in sound and theme. And typically it is. But she's much more than that. And I think that that she's got something here. And so she deserves all the accolades and success that she's getting. What's really interesting to me about her songwriting is not only is she so nuanced in what she's trying to say, but interestingly enough, she's also tries to be hopeful. What I really want to stress to you and to the audience out there, our listeners out there, is, is that I'm not saying that she is hopeful, but that she's really trying to be hopeful in light of a breakup. And so in as much as there's a combination of anger and sadness and resignation, she somehow tries to couple it with attempts at trying to be hopeful. Like that's kind of like what good for you is about. So she's angry, but she's like, good for you. Good for you that you're okay. Or happier is like that. It's like, okay, well, I hope you're happy. (laughs) She's still trying to be hopeful despite being angry, sad, resigned. And I think that that's a refreshing sense of maturity because usually it's not that. It's like very characteristically one note, one emotion, all through. Yes, that's right. But nothing more. I don't know if you got that kind of from her music as well, that she tries to be hopeful, even though it's hard. I think you caught it with about the nuances about things aren't always one-sided. Because also, too, like, she's also angry with herself. Uh, And you don't really see that trying to be a teen during this social media age. Like, she does do thought. And it's not easy where, you know what, okay, I'll get through this, and this is my way to to sing it out. And if if she can find listeners that you you caught that feeling for me, I know that she feels so, like, like she did her job. Like, she's just like, that's, Mm. or if you can connect that way. And I think that's... And it's nice to see that some musicians, that's what they wanted. This is this journey. This is sour is this snapshot at this moment of what she's dealt with, with love and the thoughts of themes and how to establish yourself where the breakup is not just that person. It's herself. 
and break up and her relationship with herself. So I I do agree with you on that. It's it's much deeper. You know, this isn't something as flighty as some people think of pop music. This is an artist, really. Yeah. And her combination as an artist of trying to bring some of these different notions and ideas together, like what I said, is very mature. And the fact that she's trying to be very hopeful or is attempting to be hopeful to me, feels very decidedly Filipino in orientation. <laughs> and I just have to say, like, Michael and I were talking about this on how sometimes being Filipino is really marked with being unendingly hopeful in a lot of ways and in our attempts to make life better for not only for us, but for future generations to come, even if it's in our own lives or filled with adversity or struggle or trauma. There's always this, like, still be hopeful for the future. And somehow that kind of comes through. And I have to pause it or I have to kind of think that perhaps some of this has come from living in a Filipino household. Mm -hmm. And and if she has, then I think Olivia Rodrigo really preserves the idea of being Filipino by taking this classic value of trying to be hopeful, even in breakups in some ways. The other is, is I was thinking about being emotive, you know, and quite often if someone is being emotive in Filipino culture, they get slapped with the label of being overactive, oh, eh. you know, oh, eh, ka, mm-hmm. right. And I was just thinking to myself, oh, like she's totally being emotive, mm-hmm. you know, and if this was in a Filip- some Filipino home that might be just a little bit judgy, <laughs> you know, she would have been called over editing, but somehow it works. So she's edited the overacting to become really expressive and emotive. And I think, again, that that's a credit to perhaps maybe Olivia Rodrigo preserving being Filipino. And I think that that kind of leads to our culture capital topic of the week, right? Which is preservation of Filipino culture in mixed children. And I think that Olivia is actually doing that. Not only has it been preserved for her, but she's preserving it for future generations to come, which is maybe what is striking at the core of a lot of young people today. So I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, but I certainly think that preservation of our culture, I think sometimes we think that it's about preserving past practices and traditions, but I think it's more than that. It's kind of like what Olivia Rodrigo is doing, which is being able to take the values and qualities and traditions of our heritage and allowing it to just evolve, just as I had just kind of discussed earlier, transforming overacting to being emotive or naive optimism into maturing attempts to be hopeful despite adversity and struggle. I think I have to agree with you. I think with me, when we were talking about having this preservation of Filipino culture in children, I think it's just come forefront and center with me after having children, uh, with just mm-hmm. having awakening. And I've had conversations with people, not just my parents, of like, you know, how do you ensure that you, the Filipino culture lives down in the house? Right. And sometimes, you know, is it as formal as Filipino formal wear or Catholicism, or is it something about the feelings and the customs that you want to have it change or evolve? Like there are interesting formalities where I, you want to have the respect of the children, but you also want to hear the children before we used to be, you know, children were seen but not heard. But living right. in North American culture or whatever, you know, the children do get to speak and stuff. So it's so symbolic. My parents were so excited to share our culture with my children. And we say traditions and stuff, but it's those staples. And I remember we talked about it in a warm-up last week where my kids are familiar with our culture through items. Whether it be chinelas, right. like a basket of chinelas at the door, <laughs> yes, pandasal yes. making. 
right. Filipino food from lumpia to adobo to Christmas with Noche Buena, right. blessing a mano, and parts of yes, Catholicism. Yes, yes. Whether it's common words that they know, like my kids know, like gatas and you know, salamat, <laughs> honorifics about calling like their cousin Cedric Kuya, or when yes. my friend Diana's kids called Delaney and Mac Ati and Kuya, the basics of geography. Wonderful. I think it's just more of those feelings and those attachments and what family's about is the preservation, right? Like things that aren't tied to our culture, but like are also are passing on those traditions where it goes a little bit more beyond. Go ahead. You're about to say something. Yeah, I was going to say it is about passing on. Mm-hmm. It is about sharing the culture, right? Like you had just said just a moment ago there that your parents were really excited to share their culture with Mac and Delaney. And I think it is all of that. I think where it starts to become problematic, especially for mixed children, is the question of who authenticates their identity mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And this would also be true of Filipinos, Filipinas, Filipinex folk in the diaspora. But I think specifically for mixed children where people then try to guess what their cultural background yes. might be. Yes. So that then they can authenticate them in a lot of ways. And so and what I mean by that is is that th- things like history, geography, Filipinos in the Philippines, Hollywood for example, authenticates one's identity, you know, and if they can't figure that out, then they play this guessing game, unfortunately, which has all these unintended and terrible consequences is what I would believe. And so what I would say, Sigs, is is that when it comes to not only preserving a Filipino culture and mixed children, it also means being able to empower them to authenticate their own identity. If we don't, what ends up happening is these other different places start to say whether they're Filipino or not. Filipina or not, or Filipinex or not. That's a good point. And I think that that starts to diminish people, diminish mixed children in a lot of ways, where they don't feel like one part of a culture or another. And so, you know, what I hope, at least for any mixed child of varying different backgrounds, is, is, is that they get to this place of authentication where they don't rely on others to authenticate their identity, they can rely on themselves. What I mean about self-authentication of our own identity means three things. Like one is being dedicated to the survival of the culture, which I think you do, right? (laughs) With Mac and Delaney, being knowledgeable of the language, which again, I think you do, you know, and living the culture in some way, shape or form, which I believe they do. If they're spending time with your parents, I think certainly that is living the culture in some way, you know? And so dedicating to the survival of the culture is more about having them know these traditions. It's letting their heritage evolve. So whatever is passed on from you and your parents to Mac and Delaney, it's what they do with it that matters and letting it evolve. It's more than just kind of like, oh, I know how to do something. It's like, oh, I'm going to take this and turn it into my own. And knowledgeable terms of language means having some understanding and it doesn't mean that you have to be fluent in Tagalog exactly. or any of the language. And I would also say, too, that living the culture means partaking in the culture. So when you talk about the kids making pandasal or eating lumpia, like that is partaking in the culture. Or understanding what Noche Buena is all about, that is partaking in the culture. I think those three things happen for your kids. Then as far as I'm concerned, they are Filipinos mm-hmm. or Filipinas or Filipinex folk. When so much of this world would be happy to invalidate their identity in some way, shape, or form, or multiple identities. They would have multiple cultural identities. And I'm sure that you probably talk to your kids about that. Yeah, I I do. And it's so funny that I'm very clear, too, about 
there's not a hyphen in it. Like I acknowledge the right. delay. I'm like, you're Filipino also. Two. Mm-hmm. Like you're not half mm-hmm. Filipino. You are Filipino, period. Just right. as like you are Dutch, period. You're Canadian, mm-hmm. period. You're Irish. Right. You're all of these. It's a piece. Yes. It's a part of her. It's not a half. It can be That's fully right. expressed in different ways. She has right. a classmate who is Filipino. Yes. Her name is Gwen. And she had told her classmate, like, they talk about, oh, she's Filipino too. I'm like, oh, awesome. I go, were you talking about being Filipino? Oh, we were talking about lumpia and stuff because they had to talk about what they do during the holidays. <laughs> yes. I told her too that, like, does she know the word smelly in Tagalog? I'm like, That's all you told her? She's like, Yeah. I'm like, That's great. That's fantastic. And I did meet Gwen's parents on there. Oh, we heard that Delaney's Filipino. I'm like, Yes, I'm Filipino. And it was so funny because, oh, so you're half. I'm like, no, 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 no. I am full Filipino. My parents came, immigrated, and and I found yes. myself saying, oh, tell me your immigration story. And it was like not yes. even a clue, and we were regaling and stuff, and we were interacting. Yes. It's great. I think I'm very much clear, like, just as much as Delaney's Filipino, like, knowledge my wife, I'm like, your mother's from the Netherlands. Like, she's just as much Dutch. Right. I want her to be able to, it just really hit home to me when we were talking about hyphenates. It's not a minus. It's just you are both. You, and you can be both. Yeah. And like you've said so many times, like you have space, there is space to have both in yeah, your life. Yeah, it's not this idea that it's like, okay, you're 50% that and exactly. 25% this and 25% that. It's like there is actually room for all of it. Mm-hmm. And again, if you do those three things, if you're dedicated to the survival culture, if you are knowledgeable of the language and the ideas and living the culture in some way, even if it's once a day, then that's a... As far as I'm concerned, that's enough to say that you're Filipina and that that's 100% in you, just as much as she might also be 100% Dutch, 100% Irish. So, and I guess where I get upset is when people start to invalidate that. It's like, how do you know? How do you know that they're not that? And that's what the guessing game is about. It's kind of like, you know, when, because I anticipate, I anticipate your kids will be asked the, the day kind of like, you know, but where are you really from? You know, what is your cultural background? Oh, I'm Canadian. When <laughs> there's summer, when they're tanned, yes. <laughs> totally. Yes. They have that thing. Yes, and yes. then sometimes, like, Emily's like, I know he's, they're Filipino because they look like me. Like, Delaney looks like me. Like, if you've seen a picture yes. of my daughter, we, we do look alike. And my son looks like my wife or whatever. But they yes. go, are they Filipino? I think we had one stranger come up to us. I think my wife was at a McDonald's and he's like, I don't want to offend you. She's like, yes. She's like, is your husband, is he Filipino? She's like, yes. How did you? Mm-hmm. I, it's a guess. It's from that person's right. context and stuff. And right. I want my kids to proudly say, yeah, I am Filipino. And right. a lot of the things that you outlined, Kuya, it's stuff I've talked about and stuff I've thought about. And even with my relationship with you and my chosen family in, from Niagara, right. who includes people who are Filipino, present company right. included. And I like the discussions and relations and learning from you all to influence and how I preserve my culture. Like there's so many, it's not just this feeling of family. Like I want my kids to have memories that are tied to Lola and Lola that right. and they happen to be hallmarks of our culture. And yes. it's just a reminder. And this is something I said to my dad, who's near to tears, where I'm like, you know, my kids are a symbol of what the sacrifice of Willie and Susie do coming to Canada amongst all the legislation and right. laws and journeys that the world does work. Like, it's very big. And, like, we have talked before where before, you know, when you and I had to research about the Philippines in the library, the Dewey Decimal System in the 80s, (laughs) we had a lot of geography books but nothing about culture. And now we have the internet. We have social media. We have podcasts. We have everything where we're curating these episodes. Our kids, your nieces and nephews, and they will learn more. 
I have books lined in our shelves, and I think we had an episode when our earlier seasons of some books that line up my kids' show about being the Philippines and about being Filipino. And I have a book called I Am Flippish. And yes. talks of a child who's Filipino, American, Scottish, Irish background. And kids were talking about... I think his mom would come and volunteer in the classroom, and she looked like his mom, who's Filipino. And then his father came, who was blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Like, Mm. are you sure that's your dad? (laughs) He's like, no, that's my dad. And his father said, you are also Scottish, and so or Irish, and I am both. So this little boy creates, like, these portmanteaus, I'm flippish. So each kid Mm. in the classroom would be like, oh, Japanadian, Japanese and Canadian. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, and they're like, we're both. There was no right. hyphens and stuff like that. And the kids were proud right. about it because they could say, oh, I'm from here. And all the little portmanteaus became long things. And it was great. And it's in my kid's shelf. And I just want them to be able to identify it. Because we never had those type of things before, right? We didn't have these type no, of books or Those are great resources. Us, right? And I'm glad that they have them. And I'm glad that you have them for them. And I just think to myself that identity is more than just a percentage. That's right. It is actually people's lives in a lot of ways. And I think we need to be kind of respectful of it. And I get it. Like people are just curious at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. kind of like what are people's backgrounds and what, and what do you identify as, or what are the multiple identities or cultural identities that you would identify with? I keep coming back to this idea that we get to define our identities, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it really leads us to kind of like the fixing of the week, which is, is, is that, Let's not let others define our identity, especially for our mixed children. And so I would say refuse to let others authenticate your identity. You claim your identity based on these three things. That at the end of the day, if Delaney said to me, Tito, I love SB19 and I eat Pandasal every other day and I talk to my Filipina friend. She's a Filipina by by my standards, right? at the end of the day. So don't let history, don't let Hollywood, don't let geography define whether you're Filipino or not. Figure it out for yourself. Engage in your own self-authentication and live your identity proudly if you're a mixed child with Filipino heritage. I love that fixing of the week. That's so... That was well put. Thanks. Folks, if you have any comments about Olivia Rodrigo's music... Let us know. Email us at holohollopopculture at gmail.com. The Holo Holo Podcast is available where you can get all podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at holohollopop and on Instagram at holohollopopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chel Turingen, and we'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you soon.